this morning we're going to continue on with that theme of marriage. We, we're going through Genesis. We've only got to Genesis 2 so far. I thought we were going to do about two sermons in Genesis 1 and 2. But I think we're on about six. Um, and because I felt a couple weeks ago that when we got to the section of, in Genesis 2 about of the institution of marriage, that God wanted me to preach a couple of messages about marriage. And so we did the one last week um, from Genesis 2, which was primarily theological and foundational. It dealt with the structure of marriage. And if you didn't hear that sermon and you wanted to know what I'm talking about, you know you can get all of our sermons for free on our website and our podcast. So just go to portviewchurch.com, go to the sermon section, click on it, and you can get all the sermons. You know, that quick. They're usually up by Monday afternoon after a Sunday. And so um, get that and listen to it, because it's kind of bookends here. Because that side was just totally foundational and theological um, about marriage. But today we're going to look at marriage from a very practical perspective. And uh, I want you to grab your Bibles, and instead of turning to Genesis, I want you to turn to the New Testament to the book of Matthew. Because what we're going to do is we're going to read Genesis in Matthew. Okay? Because Jesus, in Matthew, in this section, quotes the Old Testament. He quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And that's where we looked at last week, but he adds something to it. And that's why we're going to look at it in in the New Testament instead of the old. So let's look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. And I'm going to warn you in advance, okay? I'm trying out bifocals for the first time ever preaching today. I've been toying with these things for months. I've actually had bifocals for years. I get them, I look at them for a while, I can't use them, I throw them in a drawer. So i got a new pair of bifocals. There's a second set of lenses they've given me. And everything, who's ever had bifocals and everything moves? So if I get seasick during our service, it's because everything's moving on me up here. But I've worn them for about two months now, and I said, this is a Sunday. I'm going to try to preach with bifocals on. And so I'm going to try to read with these babies on, and it's not so easy. So Genesis, or Matthew, rather, chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, it says, And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. We'll stop right there. Verse 5 and the first part of verse 6 is exactly what we read last week, isn't it? From from, um, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That's exactly the same quote. Jesus is quoting Genesis, but then the second half of verse 6 there, Jesus adds a commentary on it. I think it's really important um, because he, he takes what was given in the Old Testament, and he adds something to it that's incredibly important. And he adds this commentary um, in verse 6b that says, and what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So it says God put it together, and he adds no one should separate it. Now let's think about this verse um, and think about some of the things it teaches us. Just go over them really quickly. The first thing that this teaches about is that in marriage, we are joined together by God. Now, um, we think of marriage very often, and the whole world thinks of marriage often, as a, just a, um, a contractual agreement between two people. That they decide to get married, they fall in love, and then to go forward in their relationship, they've got to make it legal. And, you know, we, one of the ways we figure this out is how you file your taxes at the end of the year. You know, you file, you're now married, you file joint. And so um, you now become legally a unit. But we see here that in its inception, being joined together, it says we are being joined together by whom? By God. And therefore, marriage is spiritual. And it's not just social. It's not just legal. It's spiritual at its very inception. And I think that's really important for us to, to understand about marriage as we begin to look at it. 
Because marriage is something that God says is beyond just a legal agreement. It's got spiritual content to it. It's got spiritual foundation to it. That's something that's really important to God. And that's going to help you along the way. Because oftentimes as Christians, we will put a great deal of effort into something spiritual, but we won't put a great deal of effort into something physical. And here would be a good example um, for me. I get up and I spend time in prayer and in reading my Bible. And, I, and I've done that. I've been saved for about 30 years now. It's an everyday part of my life. But you know what? I don't exercise. Matter of fact, our prayer time this morning, you know what I had them pray for me? I said, I'm so sore I can't move because Suzanne and I both decided to start exercise programs this week. And I rode my bike a whole bunch yesterday. I started lifting weights with my son. And uh, I can't hardly lift my... But to worship the Lord was a struggle this morning. You, get about, you know, Robin, what it's like to not lift your arms? Uh, I can't hardly lift up my... my uh, I was benching with bread. It's pretty bad when your 15-year-old can bench more than you can. Um, but, um, but, you know... I'm, I'm sort of these. So we invest into spiritual things, and we say, that's important if it's spiritual. And sometimes as Christians, we say, well, that's just physical. It's not so important. Well, we need to balance in that anyways. But one of the things to remember about marriage is it's spiritual. Marriage is a spiritual um, uh, entity that we enter into. We see that from this text. Another thing that we see from this text that's really important to remember, that it's just not man's creation, is that marriage is intended to be permanent. It says, what God has joined together, let no man do what to? Separate. It's intended from its inception to be permanent. Matter of fact, Scripture te- teaches us that only death is really intended to separate a husband and a wife, not um, irreconcilable differences. And that's good for us to remember as we talk about marriage because, because if we understand that God created marriage to be permanent, Well, then we simply want to live out in a certain way our marriages so that we fulfill the original created order in marriage. That it's designed to be a permanent thing. Now, I've heard people say, how could one person be married to someone that long, you know, a whole life? Um, It'd be boring. No, God said, the best way to go through life is my way. And my way is I take one man and one woman, I bring them together for eternity, forever, for life rather. And then, um, then they only are separated by death. So it's permanent. Another thing we learn about marriage from this text is this, that marriage establishes an exclusive bond. That the bond created in marriage is intended to be exclusive. It says there's two people, and the two people become what? One. Not two become two walking close together. Not two are similar, not two, but the two actually are intended to be joined together and become an exclusive bond. The two people are joined together exclusively, physically, relationally, and emotionally. Now, there's where we differ from kind of the world's idea of marriage. Because we're not just two people closely walking in the same direction. And that's what a lot of people think about marriage. That when they think about marriage, it's just that, you know what, uh, matter of fact, I've heard people say this, that I will get married to the person when it seems like I'm walking this way and another person seems to just come walking into my life and we walk side by side together. Well, that's kind of flowery and nice, but that's not what God really is saying here. He says that we're really supposed these two people now become an exclusive bond walking, not just walking in the same direction closely, but one new unit going through life together, and get this word, to be indivisible. You know, we talk about, you know, the America, and it's, it's a one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. It's indivisible. Well, that's that, that concept, we're talking about nation, or states there, but that concept really starts with marriage. That marriage is intended to be indivisible. This exclusive bond is supposed to be brought together and never be divided again. And and that indivisibleness, that exclusiveness of marriage is what I want us to focus on today. 
as we look at it. We looked at the theological part last week, last week and I want to just get really, really practical and talk about marriage today because our marriages are meant to be indivisible. They're meant to be permanently joined together by God. Now, let me start with a statistic that, that you're probably aware of part of this. And this is why I want to talk about this today. Um, statistic is this, that in the United States of America, not elsewhere in the world, interesting, other places in the world where uh, mom and dad just select people and put them together, this falling in love concept is not part of marriage, these statistics don't, don't work. But in America, with our system, approximately one half of all marriages end in divorce. That, that half of every group that gets together, say we're going to create this individual union, end in divorce. And we would say, yeah, that's true of a lot of people, but that's not true of us as we know Jesus. But do you realize the statistics say that whether you know Jesus or don't know Jesus doesn't matter? But do you know that's a relatively new thing? When I came to Christ, one of the things that drew me to Christ was a statistic that Focus on the Family put out about 30 years ago that divorce rate was about 10% within the church and it was 50% in the world. And I thought, there's something real to this. But I think the, world, the church world has degenerated a lot in the last few, few decades. And now, statistically, I'm talking about all churchgoers, people who say we go to church, not just evangelical or Pentecostal or charismatic churches, but all churches, that now the numbers look no different, according to Barna, between those who say they go to church and they don't go to church. That about one half of marriages end in divorce. Now, so we divide this indivisible union that God created. He said, I'm going to make one all the time, every day, people in our culture divide that union, even though God said it was indivisible. Now, there's another stat you might not be as, as familiar with, and it's this. Do you know that the statistics say that almost 90% of divorces, that in the divorce, um, that there is an affair as part of the divorce? That in almost 100%, in 90-plus percent of all divorces, when you interview the one the husband and the wife when they get divorced, in almost every case, um, one or both of the husband and wife were involved in an extramarital affair. And so in our culture, infidelity, unfaithfulness, is a really big deal. Now I think when people enter into marriage, very few people ever enter into marriage and say, you know what, I'm pretty certain I'm going to stand before God and before family and friends and stand on an altar of a church, and I'm going to vow my love till death do us part, but I'm really quite, concerned, quite convinced that actually one of us is going to have an affair and we're going to end up with a divorce. I don't think that most people, I know when I stood before, in hand in hand with Suzanne before God and before my family, and never, I never, that never entered my mind that that would happen. We're, we're going to live forever. I don't think people really think that way. Most believe that those things won't happen to them. Yet, one half of all marriages end in divorce, and almost 100% of those, when they get a divorce, there's an extramarital affair involved. So as Christian people who want to bring honor to God and obey God, and we don't want to be unfaithful, and we don't want to have divorces, the question I have to ask ourselves today in a very practical manner is, how do we safeguard our marriages? How do we create marriages that will last? And as I thought about that, and I really, I really felt the Lord wanted me to deal with this issue today, um, and I thought, well, how do I address this, God? And, and I was reminded of something, and I'm, it's, it's drawing me to do something today that I almost never do when I preach. Almost never. One of the very rare times you'll ever see me do this. And what I want to do is I actually want to talk about a book. Not a book of the Bible, a book written by a Christian author um, that I'm going to encourage all of you to get at some point in your life um, and, and read it together. 
Because in this book, I have found some of the best advice that I've ever read. I was forced to read this book in Bible college. Matter of fact, I asked Pastor Bruce if he had to read it, and he did. So we had to read this book in Bible, Bible school. Um, and it's a book designed, matter of fact, the subtitle is How to Build a Fair-Proof Marriages. And it's a book called um, His Needs, Her Needs by Dr. Willard Harley. And I want to talk about this. I'm going to add some stuff to it, but I want to talk about some concepts that, that, that um, Dr. Harley talks about and how to build a marriage that lasts. And the reason I wanted to bring this book up is because Dr. Harley is a Christian counselor. And he spent now 30 plus years as a Christian counselor. And he spent time dealing with people um, in, with marriage problems. And you know what he found after he got into this? He's, going to, he's thinking he's going to help people and rescue people. And you know what he found as a Christian man going into Christian counseling? That it didn't matter if people came from church or didn't come to church. They dealt with the exact same problems. And he got really angry. He got really frustrated. Because people who said they had strong faith were coming in and they were, they were confessing all these affairs and confessing all these things they were doing to sabotage their marriages. And he said, this doesn't make sense. And, and so he um, wrote a book designed to help people um, in their marriages so they can build an affair-proof marriage. And what I want to focus on today are some of the concepts that he explains in that book. And you could be sitting here today and say, well, you know what, Mark? I don't really care. I'm not married. Or I've been married for 50 years, and I got this stuff figured out. And that might be true. But the things we're going to talk about today and these concepts, they apply to all relationships, not just marriage. And so they apply to every relationship. They apply to your relationship with your friends, your family, your neighbors. And so there's concepts in here that are going to help you. But it's specifically written for marriage, and I'm going to apply it to marriage. And also understand something before we get into it in detail today. That I'm making an assumption here because of where I'm speaking at the church. I'm making an assumption that we realize that having a solid spiritual life is the most basic foundation that all of us need for marriage. That if we will be people who serve God, we'll be people who read the Bible, we'll be people who pray together, you know what? Marriages work. Because God intends for them to work. But this is something that's going to be built upon that. And in Dr. Harley, in his book, he starts off talking about a concept um, of, uh, of relationships that he calls having love banks. And this concept is really profound and it's, and it's a really helpful concept. And it goes something like this. And this is what I want you to pay attention. Dr. Harley... By the way, speaking of paying attention, it's like really hot in here. We're going to put you all to sleep. Can we crank that air conditioning up a little bit? Is it on? I asked them to turn it on. It is on. See if we can get it a little cooler in here. I see everybody going like, oh, you know, <laughs> like baked clams or something, and uh, I'm feeling that way. And uh, if, if you know, it's really hard to preach to people who are falling asleep because they're hot. And so uh, crank up the AC. Um, and so let's talk about this concept of love banks that he uses in marriage. Um, and it would go like this, that every person, every one of us, in essence, is a banker. And that I'm, more, more precisely, I'm a bank. That I have a bank, and with inside of me, somehow, emotionally, for every person I know, there's a different account. So that I have an account within my bank that says, you know, um, Pastor Pete, and his name's on it. And I've got one that says Vicky, and I've got one that says Suzanne, and one that says Josh. And every person I have a relationship with, there is a bank account, in essence, inside of me that exists for every person I have a relationship with. And that every time I interact with people, something happens to that bank account. If I have a good relationship with a person, a good interaction, rather, I meet Pastor Pete today, and he says, God bless you, Mark, I'm so glad to see you. You know what happens in that that bank account? There's a deposit made. I have a a positive, something positive goes in there. But if I walk up to him and the first time I've seen him in a number of months, he walks in and says, man, 
I don't like I don't like the decorations on the walls. And you know what? And you know what? I thought by coming back in six months you'd have different carpeting in here. And the first words out of his mouth, what would happen to me is, although I'd smile and say, oh yeah, God bless you. Inside, something would really happen. There'd be a, a, a withdrawal made. On the account that says Pastor Pete, a withdrawal would be made. And that what happens in our interactions with people is these account balances we have go up or go down based upon the interactions and experiences that we have. Good interactions and experiences, we get deposits, positive deposits. Bad interactions or experiences, there's withdrawals made from the account. And every person's got this account with me or with you that goes up and down. And over time, as people interact um, with one another, they build up account balances or they build up deficits with one another. And if it's a positive, it's a good feeling. If it's a deficit, it's a bad feeling. Well, this concept that he uses can explain how people usually come to the place where they fall in love and want to get married. And think of it like this. You meet somebody. You're just walking along, not thinking about marriage, not thinking about anything, and you go into some to shop co or something, and you meet something, somebody, and maybe there's a mutual friend. Hey, Bill, how you doing? And Bill's with this beautiful young girl. And uh, you walk up there and, and uh, Bill says, hey, you know, this is, this is my friend so-and-so. And you start talking and you find out that person's single and, and, they, and they, boy, they like some of the same things you like. And, and you say, man, there's something that's kind of like a, some little spark goes off. And you go, hmm, I'm really interested in that. This guy's a kind of an interesting person. You go home and you meet Bill again and Bill says, you know what, that, that girl's not dating anybody. And, and you, you say, you think I get her number? Just because at a first interaction, some deposits have been made. It's all been positive. You call her up on the phone, you say, hey, how would you like to, you know, you're a, you're a fan of uh, basketball. You say, hey, you know what, I've got tickets to a basketball game. You want to go to a basketball game with me this weekend? And she goes, even if she hates basketball, she goes, yeah, I love basketball. <laughs> Let's go to the ball game. And you go to the baseball game, uh, the, the basketball game, and she cheers, and you buy her sodas and whatever else, hot dogs, and you watch the game, and it's really fun, and it's a great time. And during the whole night, you know, she's being positive, you're being positive, and deposits are being made into your bank account. It was a, there was no bank account there a couple days ago. Now there's a bank account with that person's name on it, and there's deposits going, and it's starting to rise. That person says all these nice things to you, and it's a deposit. You know, you meet her on a date, and she dresses her best, and he opens the door of the car, and you walk, and you talk, and it's deposit, deposit, deposit. He goes out with you time and time after that. You know what? He doesn't burp or scratch. You know? <laughs> And she's going, he's a man. He, I like this guy. Deposit, 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 you know. Football season comes, you know, and uh, maybe we'll the basketball. March Madness comes, and you want to watch every basketball game. And she goes, I love basketball. And she sits down and she says, what's your favorite food when you're watching basketball? And you tell her the only food you watch, eat, watch sports, sports, which is Rotel Dip with chips. It's the only one you want to eat because that's my favorite, right, Suzanne? And... Um, you got your Coke and your hotel dip and, your, and your, your nacho chips and you're watching the game and she's talking about, she's watching the whole game and man, there's this deposit, deposit. You're like, there's no woman on the planet like this. And she's making all, she's making all these deposits into your life and the account's going up and, and you're being nice to her and doing things she likes and you're, you're doing all these things, common interests, complimenting each other, loving each other, acceptance to one another. Deposit, deposit, deposit. And a little while in time, um, pretty soon you... In, examine your life and you realize that you have a higher account balance with this person than any other person you've ever had in your entire life. And you have a warm feeling, a good feeling associated with that and you discover, you know what, I feel like I'm in love. I really feel like, like we're, we're meant for each other. And so what do you do? The next natural thing is you, you say, you, you buy a ring and you pop the question and they get married. I want you to understand something. Good marriages, based from that point forward, great marriages, 
are built and are maintained by, by continually making deposits into a person's life and limiting withdrawals. The way you have a good marriage is the way you started off. You constantly make deposits and you make sure that you limit your withdrawals. It's being mindful and intentional about the account balance that you have with your spouse. You got married and all you've been doing this whole dating time is intentionally trying to do things to make that person feel good and your account balances have been soaring. But then you tie the knot, you get the ring, you, you settle into real life and you, you come to a realization. Here's the realization. That day-to-day life, that paying bills and raising kids and moving and homework with your 16-year-old that you don't understand any better than they do and taking your kids to 15 different sporting events and figuring out how in the world you're going to pay for the broken transmission when you don't have two nickels in the bank account, all of those things make withdrawals every single day in your life. Every day that account balance, because you know what, the only person that you deal with this with is your spouse. And so when you're talking about the transmission that's broken, you're, you're not talking about it to your, to your kids. You're not really talking about it to the neighbor. You might mention it, but trying to figure out how to make it work, it's between you two. And you're trying to figure it out, and it's negative, and it's stressful, and every day there's withdrawals being made because of the realities of life. And here's the key to building good marriages. The way we keep, we need to keep making deposits so that it outweighs the withdrawals that come with the natural part of life. And the way we keep making deposits in marriage is by intentionally meeting each other's basic needs. That we understand that I have basic needs and she has basic needs, and the way to keep our account balances going up instead of going down, because life brings them down, we need to work to bring them up, is that we intentionally meet each other's needs. And Dr. Harley says that men and women each have five basic needs. And here's the important part to remember. You need to understand this that the needs of a man and the needs of a woman are different. And that if we don't understand the difference, we don't meet each other's needs. It'd be kind of like this. If I, and I do love, I love, I love coffee. I love a Starbucks Cafe Mistel. It's great. God, we're going to have them in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, and I think so. But if, because I like a Cafe Mistel, my wife, she can't stand coffee. She pretends, she, our first date, she told me she didn't. She drank coffee like a fish. You know, phone out later, she hates coffee. You know, but hey, deposit, deposit, deposit. I'm going to make deposits with this guy. And so if every morning I got up and I wanted to bless my wife, and I got up before her and I snuck out of bed and I got in the car and I drove to, to Starbucks and I got her a Cafe Misto and I snuck in the bedroom and I said, Honey, I love you. Wake up. Here's a Cafe Misto. You know, she'd probably smile and say, thanks, Mark. When I walked out, she'd dump it in the toilet. You know what? It wouldn't be meeting any of her needs. And that's what we do in marriage so often, that we don't understand that the needs of a spouse is, are different than the needs that I have, that a wife's needs and a husband's needs are different. And that as a husband, if I try to meet my wife's needs thinking that her needs are the same as mine, I'll, I'll be frustrated and she'll be frustrated and the account balance will actually go down because after a while, the cuteness of getting the Cafe Misto every day is going to wear off and she's going to be like, will you stop wasting two and a half bucks on one of these stupid drinks that I don't like and I've got to dump it out anyways. You know, but you don't say that because you don't want to hurt the person's feelings. And even if you don't say it, the, the, the account balances go down and the things of life begin to bring them down. So we need to understand the five basic needs of man and the five basic needs of a woman and they're completely different. 
And I went through this list myself, and I have many times, and I asked Suzanne again, and I've asked her this before. I said, you know, after 21 years of marriage, Suzanne, would you agree that these five basic needs of a woman are the right, they're, they're accurate? She said, yeah, I think they are. So let's talk about the five basic needs of a man first in marriage. First one is this, the first, and you could all guess it, and I'm going to say it in the generic way. The first basic need of a man is physical fulfillment, and you understand what I'm talking about. I want to be rated G. Physical fulfillment is the first basic need of a man. I don't think there's a woman in the place, a wife in the place that would disagree. That's the first basic need of a man. You know, it's not something to, it's not something to say, oh, them guys are pigs or whatever. It's the way men were created. It's the way God made man. And so we can make jokes about it. We can laugh and it's funny. But it's true. It's not, a man's not being, he's being a man when, that he recognize, when you recognize that's his first need. The second basic need of a man, and some of you ladies probably don't understand this at all, and that's why I say everybody should get this book and read it, because it's basically just based squarely on Scripture and trying to say, after all these years of counseling, here's what I found to be the basic needs. The second basic need of a man is one you probably wouldn't think about, ladies, and it's this. It's re recreational companionship. The second basic need a man has is recreational companionship. Why do you think that your first date, he took you to a basketball game? Or something like that. And you think back. Think of your relationship. Think of all the stuff. Think of all the, the games you went to or the hikes you went on or the tennis matches you played that you'd never done that before a day in your life hardly. But you met this guy and you started doing stuff. Or it's, you know, it's, it's shooting guns or whatever, you know, killing critters. Whatever your, your sports are, suddenly you bring her into that world and she starts participating. I should take a risk here. Sandy, did you ever shoot a deer before you met Roger? Never. <laughs> it's the prettiest lady with a gun you'll ever see back there. But you know what? Am I not right? Am I not wrong? Recreational companionship. Guys want a woman, a wife, to come alongside him and do this stuff together. We say this is enjoyable for our lives. We don't want to have to run off with the guys and do it. We like to do it with our spouse. It's a second need. The third one is this. And I'll, ladies, don't shoot me till I explain it. Because this is based on, again, years and years of research. It's that the need for an attractive spouse that um, it doesn't mean that a, that a spouse needs to look like a movie star. What it means is that when a man, for some reason, when he was attracted, men are visual, and when a man met a woman and got married to her, there was something very attractive about that person. The reason he ever called and made a date with her was because something superficial attracted him to her. And it's the way men are wired. It was something superficial. It was generally appearance. And that a man, as he, as he goes through life with, his, with, a, with a wife... And matter of fact, Dr. Haley would say one of the biggest complaints he has in his counseling is that men will come in and say, well, my wife just let herself go. And it really bothers me. And he'll say this, but I can't say anything about it. And so a man doesn't, want, doesn't expect a woman to, to fight time. You know, we all get old and wrinkly. We all, you know, gain weight. Suzanne and I are trying to, you know, fight the battle of the bulge and, and do all this stuff. That's part of life. We understand that, but... A, but he found that the third most important need of a man is that a, a woman who does her best to try to take care of herself and look nice for her husband. The fourth one that he says is important, that, that we could say in our culture today, oh, that's outdated. But he's found in his studies, this is that, you know what, it's not outdated, it's just real, is this, it's a need for domestic support. That a man really likes someone who cooks and cleans. And now we've become modern and men cook and clean too, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if you examine a man and you talk to a group of men, they will say they really enjoy, that's a need of theirs, to have that wife kind of keep the nest for them. They want to go out and conquer the world, and they want to come home to this thing that they feel like is a family. It's very important to them. 
And the last one that he says is one of the five basic needs of a man is, is, is ad, um, ad, admiration or respect. Now, I would say this. I think admiration and respect is number one or two, really. I really believe that admiration and respect is probably number two, if you have to rank them. And he wasn't trying so hard to rank them, but I think that should be way at the top because that is a huge need for men. We know we want to be respected. We don't want to be disrespected. It's very hard. A great book, Love and Respect on Marriage. It's been taught here on a Wednesday night a couple of years back. Um, excellent book to get, dealing with how a woman needs love and a man needs respect. Very important. Now let's look at the five most basic needs of a woman. Because, now what's interesting, not one of them is the same. Of the five, there's not one match in the entire thing. And guys, if we don't get this, and we think that just giving them a cafe misto in the morning is meeting their needs, what's going to happen is our account balance goes down because life brings it down. We need to understand what's the need of a wife and how do I intentionally meet those needs so that the account balance goes up with this person. And the five for a wife are this. Number one is a need for affection, the need to be loved. And that's not talking about physical. Nothing physical there. That they just want to know that they are loved. They want to feel, I guess, like the, the Cinderella in the story. They want to know that you love them more than anybody on the planet, that they're that important to you. You have a passionate love for them. Second one is this. Wife's most basic need number two is conversation, that she wants and needs to talk about things. Guys, you know what? Um, this is the excuse we use. Well, I'm a big, strong, silent type. You know what? Uh, just bury that somewhere when it comes to your wife. Be big, strong, silent type when you're with your buddies, but don't be the big, strong, silent type when you're a wife because one of her needs is for conversation. She wants to talk about stuff. And you, if you want to build an account balance, need to intentionally work so that you can have conversation with her so that you're making deposits. Isn't that something? You can just talk with your wife and you're making deposits in your account that says Mark because it's the need of a wife. Number three, um, need from a woman is honesty and openness. That she wants her husband not to lie to her. Be honest and open with me. Number four, and this is going to sound outdated, but it, again, studies say it's true. She wants financial support. And I know we live in a world today, you know that for the first time ever in America, now in marriages, wives now make more than husbands. Just, just published. That doesn't say men make more, women make more than men. In marriages, wives make more than husbands. And I think the reason probably is is the, the demise of the industrial, industrialized nation, high-paying jobs where guys went to work for A.O. Smith and made great money and you know, sometimes low education, and, and they brought home the bacon, and the wife kept going to college and got a bunch of degrees you know, and ended up being nurses or whatever else, and those are high-paying jobs. So our culture's changing, but for the first time ever, wives make more than husbands. But interestingly, when they studied women, women said they had a high need for financial support from their husband. They wanted to believe that if they had babies and stayed home, their husband would take care of them. And number five, um, family commitment. That a wife wants to believe that a husband is not a spectator, he's a participant in the family. That he doesn't have to say to the wife, um, what are the kids doing, that he actually knows what the kids are doing because our family participant, that he's involved in the family. Now, I know something about these five categories, that these may not apply equally to everyone. Some men or some women will look at these and say, you know what, that need doesn't really, isn't really that important to me. And that's fine. These are generalizations. However, through studies, they found that these are generally the five most important basic needs of, of a man and a woman. And we see that men and women, as we talked about, have these different needs. And here's something really important. Often... The failure of men and women to meet each other's uh, marital needs is simply due to ignorance of each other's needs. We think that we understand what they want, but we really don't know. 
So we need to learn to understand our spouse's needs so we can meet their needs and thus make deposits instead of withdrawals into their life and then our relationships will be solid. Now does that make sense so far? Making sense how you think it would work? Now, let's talk about the problem part of marriage. That's just talking about how we get along. How do marriages break down? And importantly, how do affairs happen? You might say, why are you focusing on affairs? If half our marriages end in divorce and 90 plus percentage have an affair involved and it doesn't seem to matter if it's a church or not a church, um, that's very important stuff. So how do we, how do we make sure that doesn't happen? Um, marriages break down and affairs happen. When a f- this, let me explain this first before you say, oh, it shouldn't be that way. It happens when a spouse lacks fulfillment in their basic needs and it creates a thirst within them that they feel must be quenched somehow. That their basic needs are not being met. And because a couple of their needs are one or three or four or five, or all five of their needs are not being met, they creates a thirst within them, um, physically and, and emotionally, that they feel it must be quenched. And if changes are not take, do not take place in their marriage to take care of those basic needs, the individual will face a temptation, a powerful temptation, to fill those needs outside of the marriage bond. Now, I'm not justifying that. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying it's what happens every single day. And here's how it works. I'm going to pick on wives. And the reason I'm going to pick on wives here is because I can kind of understand this. I'm going to say this up front. It has nothing to do with my marriage. But I can understand a man better than a woman. I can understand how a man would face, feel in a situation better than a woman. So pick on a situation like this with a wife. Maybe you've been married for a couple of years and you had this whole scenario we talked about where you fell in love and you went to ball games, did all this stuff, you built up big account balances, you got married and you're, you're going along blissfully in marriage. And uh, after a couple of years of marriage, you're still in love, but, but the wife um, gains more than a little bit of weight. You know, she puts on, on a lot of weight and, and maybe she has, she's had kids and because she's had the kids, the pounds don't come off so easy anymore. And I'm not trying to say as a man I understand that. I admit it's got to be really tough. I'm not trying to say that's not hard, ladies. You know, and puts on weight, doesn't come off so easy. And, and uh, often then maybe because she's tired or, or she's just stressed out or she's busy or maybe even lazy, because we're all humans, we're all tend towards laziness, she stops really taking care of herself. And she stops dressing really nice for her husband. She used to get all, you know, prepared for him when she's going to see him. And now he walks in the door and, you know, she looks like she went through the blender, you know, when he comes home. And, you know, and, and again, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say it's, that it's easy. But she says, like, I've been chasing this stupid two-year-old all day. I didn't have time to do anything. And, and we understand that. But she just kind of lives like that all the time. And, you know, instead of, instead of nice clothes, she's wearing sweatpants all the time. And, and you know, and she just, just lets herself go, kind of. You know, she's not taking care of herself. Well, here's the reality. That husband will probably never say anything to his wife about that. You know why? He doesn't want to hurt her feelings. He will not say anything about it. He may say it about to, to other people about it, his buddies or whatever, but he will not say anything to his wife about it. Um, but there will be withdrawals that happen. That account that has her name on it, withdrawals will happen in his life because that need that he had for that attractive wife is not being met. Now, here's, the, here's the, the vicious cycle. Because she doesn't feel good about herself, she starts to feel uncomfortable about herself, and, and uh, she's not happy with her appearance because she's more aware of the fact that she's gained weight than he has. She's more of fact, she's kind of maybe depressed, and that's why she's not, doing her, she's not dr- dressing up nice, and she's kind of just existing, and, and she's kind of feeling down and, and bad about herself. And because of that, she begins to physically withdraw from her husband. 
and the, the kind of physical relationship they had doesn't exist anymore. And of course, everybody knows that what you had your first year of marriage isn't going to happen anymore, but, but she's just feeling bad about herself, and she begins to, to withdraw, and he starts feeling rejected and ignored. And he's probably not going to say it. He'd maybe make some jokes about it. He's going to maybe make some comments about it a little bit, but the fact of the matter is he's not going to talk about it because he doesn't want to hurt his wife's feelings. He's still in love with her, but his basic needs aren't being met. And what begins to happen is some more withdrawals. And because life is life and people get busy and you start having these kids running around and they need all this attention, she starts spending more of her time with the kids than having fun with him recreationally. She used to go to the ball games and do this stuff, but now she feels like she can't because she's running around just chasing this herd of children around and she's tired. And uh, his need for recreational companionship is not being met at all. And his withdrawal is being made. Now, he's not complaining. He's still in love. He's maybe, maybe complaining about it to himself or to others. Maybe he may have fights about it once in a while. But she still has a higher account balance in his life than anybody else. She's still number one in his life. She's, he still loves her and he's still passionate about her. and They still have a good marriage. And if he asked him, you have a good marriage? He'd say, of course, they have a great marriage. When he goes to work one day and enters his co-worker. And boy, she's pretty. This beautiful girl comes into work and she starts kind of being flirtatious with him. Starts talking about how wonderful he is. And she starts saying the same things to him that his wife said to him four or five years ago when they first met man, you're wonderful. You're great. Maybe she just came out of a bad marriage and she's lonely anything and she's, she's just really friendly and she gets up and gets his coffee for him when he wants it. She likes Cafe Mistos also, you know. And uh, she watches the big game with him and talks about how great it is and maybe watches at home and says, oh, did you see that last night? Oh, right down to the final two seconds. And he's like, wow, she likes the big game. And he starts thinking, oh, my wife doesn't even watch football, you know, basketball with me anymore. She compliments them and compliments them and it makes deposit after deposit after deposit. And here's the reality. Because they don't live in the same house and because they don't deal with the very real problems that life offers every single day, because life is basically a string of obstacles. That's what life is. They don't have to deal with those together. Not to, he's not talking to her about how am I going to pay for the broken transmission. He's talking to his wife about how to break, pay for the broken transmission. And he's never talking about anything negative with her. It's just all positive and positive and positive. And it's deposit, 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 deposit. And the account balance in her, with her name on it in his life goes up and up and up and up. And in times, her account balance starts to rival his wife's account balance. And he starts recognizing something. He's like, you know what, I'm just kind of having feelings for this lady. Because her balance is getting really high. And that feeling, which is, feelings are... Feelings are real, but they're not trustworthy. Feelings are real, but, they're, but they change. If anybody thinks they're going to feel in love for 50 years, wipe it off, the, off your brain idea right now. It doesn't happen. You're not going to feel that way. God did not create you to feel that way. It is normal to have affections that grow towards another person. That's why you've got to be smart if that happens and eliminate it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the fact of the matter is he starts having you know, feelings for her. Her balance is getting high. And she's meeting a bunch of his unmet needs that his wife met only a few years ago. She's starting to meet those needs. And the next thing that happens, they're kind of alone somewhere, and it happens. And this is what they, they say. Most people in that situation, I've heard them tell me it. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. We didn't plan it. It just happened. Because the account balance are high and they have an affair. Now, this shouldn't happen especially in the kingdom of God, we should be wise enough to recognize the warning signs that you start saying, I actually am looking forward to seeing that person. You ought to then recognize 
you better make some changes in your life because you want to keep your account balance at your wife higher than anybody else and your husband higher than anybody else. We should all have the resolve to keep our vows that we stood on the platform before God and man and said, till death do us part. We ought to have the resolve to do this. But the fact of the matter is, church, every single day this happens. The story I just talked about. Every single day this affair stuff happens because of the situation going the way it just went. This is serious business. It's really serious business. And I'm going to tell you something right now that I believe is absolutely biblical. It's not from, from um, Dr. Haley, but I believe it's absolutely bi- biblical, and it's this. Having your marital account balance increase needs to be the number one priority in your life after loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you choose to get married, having your account balance go up and up and up, putting the effort into it, needs to be your number one commitment in life after loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because Jesus is really clear. He says, how do you sum up the whole law and the prophets? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Your spouse is your nearest neighbor that you will ever have. And we should have as our number one priority. You know, we don't have to get married. But when we choose to say, I do, we now enter into a contract in a spiritual union that God says what what God has put together, let no man separate. And our commitment to that union now becomes the most important thing in our life. And you must learn, therefore, what your spouse's needs are and intentionally meet those needs. Because you know what? It's ministry. If I say to most any person in the church, will you be involved in this ministry? They understand it takes effort. We're going to go meet the needs of poor people. We're going to go you know, evangelize. They'll say yes, and they understand it takes research and it takes effort to do it. Well, friends, understand, marriage is ministry. It's the most important ministry any one of us has when we say I do. I do. And it takes effort. Remember, we are not two anymore. We are one unit and everything we do must work towards um, strengthening that bond. People live under the delusion, a big delusion, that somehow we grow closer together over time. It just naturally happens. You want to know the truth? We naturally grow apart over time. We become more self-actualized, more like ourselves, more individualistic the older we get. And we don't grow together. We naturally grow apart. And all life stressors put the withdrawals out of the account of a spouse. We naturally take us and draw us to the part. And you will only grow closer as you intentionally meet each other's needs and make deposits in the other person's life on purpose, keeping your balance higher in that person's account, your spouse's account, than anybody else's on the planet. And hear me today. Keeping your spouse's account higher than any other person on the planet. Keeping your spouse's account higher than the account you have with your children. I think it's really hard for moms. Moms are something natural about and, and real about their bond to their children. Dads have it too, but moms are moms. And it's very easy because of the pressures of life and difficulties that arrange that arrives in marriage to begin to put all your energy into your kids. And our bond, the account balance, here's husband's account balance, and here's kids' account balance. You know what happens the day the kids graduate and leave the house? They go and you say, I don't love this guy anymore, and the marriage is over. So moms, husbands, and wives, we have to make sure our kids don't have a higher account balance than, than uh, our spouse does. You know what? Another big one, parents. 
You know what? It's so interesting when he talked about marriage. He said this, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. He says there's a, there's a separation that has to take place between a, a parent and a child when they get married. It's so that the account balance doesn't say hi, because you know what? Guys, sometimes there's a commitment to mom that I've got to protect mom. I've got to look out for mom, and that's good, and that's great, but it can never be a higher commitment than it is to maintaining a relationship with your spouse. And that commitment to friends. Guys, we're good about this. You know what? Maybe our, maybe our wife, we're not having those, relation, those recreational needs met, so it's all about the buddies. We want to spend time with the buddies all the time. Go with the guys to whatever. You know what? Their account balance comes up here and their wife ends up down here, and we're headed for a train wreck if that happens. We need to make sure that the account balance that we have with our spouse is higher than anybody else in the world. Friends, marriage is serious business. And a great marriage is a great blessing in this world. But a great marriage takes a great amount of effort. And if we'll just look at, say, what are the needs of my spouse? And you know what we'll do? We'll do something that we're really bad at. We'll sit down with our spouse and we'll say, what needs do you have? Why is that so hard? It's not hard to say, you know, what do you want at McDonald's? Driving through the drive-thru, come on, tell me a number four or a number three. That's, we do it all the time, we talk. Is it so hard to sit down with the person you committed to spend the rest of your life together and say, you know what, what are your needs? Talk openly with each other. Read books about marriage together. I think every book I reference today, Suzanne and I have both read. Read books about marriage together because you're going to learn something you didn't know. None of us have ever done learning. You know what? Pray together. Suzanne and I this morning, like most mornings before we ever got out of bed, we prayed. We prayed together and then started our day. What a great way to start your day. You're, build, you're making deposits. From the, before your feet ever hit the floor, you're making deposits. You can have a great marriage, but it takes a great deal of effort. I believe if we do our parts before God to build our marriages and to maintain great marriages... Um, that God will bless our efforts. I really believe that. Amen?